Simple Beep, Episode 4, Merry Xmas. Welcome back to Simple Beep, a podcast about the history of Mac and the Apple community. I'm Ed Cormany. And I'm Brian Satorius. And this is our holiday special episode of Simple Beep, so we decided to do something with a holiday theme. Merry Xmas was one of, if not the, first hypercard viruses. And we decided that with the festive name, it was appropriate for this time of year. Although we'll find out that perhaps Merry Xmas didn't have too much to do with Christmas or the holiday season at all. Before we get into the virus itself, let's talk a little bit about HyperCard. Yes, and we figure that there's quite a lot to say about HyperCard, and we're sure that we'll revisit it in future episodes, but we just wanted to give a little bit of context of what this application was and what it could do, and what fills those roles today since HyperCard is no more. I was looking back through some sources about this, and I think I was looking in an old copy of the Mac Bible, and it introduced it as being extremely difficult to explain to someone exactly what HyperCard was, because it was basically a development environment. It's like asking today, you know, what does Xcode do? Well, you can program anything with it, but if you're not talking to a programmer, that might not be very helpful information. So at its core, um, HyperCard was built around the concept of a stack, which was made up of a series of cards. A card was basically each screen of whatever software uh, you were building in HyperCard. Some people use these as databases. Uh, you could you could draw on the cards um, using built-in graphics tools. So I know a lot of people made uh, very skeuomorphic Rolodexes in HyperCard stacks where each card corresponded to an actual card of contact information. I remember using these a lot in school for presentations because this was... Before the massive popularity of PowerPoint and then Keynote from Apple, and because you had this stack of cards, the simplest way to organize them was just linear, you know, one card to the next, to the next, to the next, and you could link them either with buttons, or I remember the really fancy way of doing it was making it so that if you clicked anywhere on the card, it went to the next one, just like you would for a presentation today. Maybe most famously, HyperCard was the backbone for the game Myst, uh, the point-and-click adventure. I don't really need to explain Myst, I hope. I think everyone's played Myst. I hope so, but uh, if you haven't, there's an iOS port of it, isn't there? There is. I have it. I remember when it came out, people were kind of shocked how large it was and how much space it took up on an iOS device, because I think they went back and remastered some of the graphics, too, and it was you know, several hundred megs, and it was one of the first giant iOS games. And of course, it was one of the first giant Mac games as well, because it was distributed on CD-ROM. And its sequel took five CD-ROMs. I also remember that. Oh, gosh. It, there was a DVD version. And if you could have that, it was way, way better, because otherwise you were just switching discs the whole time. But anyway, we digress far from, from HyperCard. <laughs> so we mentioned that, that HyperCard gave you some programming abilities as well as the multimedia capabilities. And this was through the HyperTalk language. HyperTalk... I remember learning in elementary school because it was very uh, much like natural language. You could type commands like get the value of X, put it into Y, and no fussing with semicolons or anything. Those statements would execute correctly. Yeah, and the closest thing to this that still exists today, I think, is AppleScript. Although AppleScript syntax 
has some very peculiar features to it. HyperTalk seemed even more natural. The interesting thing about HyperTalk was that you had all this flexibility over items within the stack, like we said, buttons or triggering animations, or even entering text in text fields and looking up things in a database. But it also had some extensibility with things called XCMDs, and that stood for external command. And these allowed basically plugins or add-ons to HyperCard. So this allowed for playing QuickTime movies in a stack. There was a separate XCMD package called Color Tools, which was a big deal because it allowed you to insert color graphics into HyperCard stacks. Natively, HyperCard was just black and white up until version 2.2, I think. But the problem with these XCMDs was that because you're basically making external code calls, it also allowed for people to write malware using HyperTalk. And so, like the title of this episode, the most famous HyperCard malware was the Merry Xmas virus. It, has, it still has notoriety to this day. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. The, the unofficial HyperCard Twitter account made a Merry Xmas reference. But despite its popularity, Ed and I were trying to figure out what did it actually do? And we couldn't recall quite exactly off the top of our heads. Yeah, so I remember that this was the first virus scare that I can recall in my lifetime. And it was like, oh my gosh, your, your files might be infected with this virus. One of the elements of HyperCard that I remember clearly is that it had a one-line almost like a one-line terminal that was separate from the main HyperCard window. You could issue commands through this or you could the software could output text to it. And I thought the Merry Xmas virus, aside from replicating itself, uh, would write Merry Xmas in this separate one-line window. Right, and I remembered that it was, there was a story that it was actually more destructive than it was. So what I had been told was that it would replicate itself to different HyperCard stacks, and then it would lie there dormant, doing nothing, until Christmas Day, hence the name Merry Xmas. And then it would spring to life and start corrupting files or deleting files. But it turns out that it didn't do any of those things. It was actually fairly benign, although there were some other HyperCard viruses that had that kind of behavior. So we looked into what it actually did. And there were many, many different stories. And then I found one description that I think sums it up more neatly than the others. And the first sentence of the description gives an indication of why. It says, this is a hypercard virus family with many variants. Hence, it didn't always do the same thing. So maybe the really scary version that deleted files actually was around, but that doesn't seem to be the canonical Merry Xmas virus. So this description continues, the virus appends code to the end of the stack script. When an infected stack is run, it first infects the HyperCard home stack. Stacks that are then run receive the infection from the home stack. It can cause, cause unexpected home stack behavior. The virus contains an XCMD that can shut the system down without saving open files. So that sounds a little bit more destructive, possibly. But it doesn't contain any code that executes it. It displays messages and plays sounds. And I think the funniest story about how it spread around was obviously it had to spread through sort of physical contact or the digital equivalent of physical contact. It's, it wasn't like internet worms that came along later that could just find a 
vulnerable system over the internet and reach in and start infecting things, you actually had to A, have HyperCard, B, have an infected stack, and C, run it. And then I mentioned it said it infected the home stack. So one of the features of HyperCard was that you could set a home stack, and that was what was going to launch each time that you opened HyperCard. And so if you put some malicious code there in the home stack, then it could affect everything else because it was always going to run. The funniest story, though, about how this circulated was that apparently it was in some copies of something called the SIM stack, which S-I-M-M, so I presume that it was something to do with testing memory or something, which was actually a HyperCard tool that was distributed by Apple. And when they realized that the version that they were sending around was infected with Merry Xmas, they pulled it immediately. (laughs) So in addition to Merry Xmas and all of its copycats and variants, there were other viruses that propagated through HyperCard. We picked out a couple of our favorites from going through and looking them up. One of them was the very simply named HC9507. And this virus would display the word pickle and then uh, make your system behave strangely, usually causing a crash. Yeah, and this seemed to be a sort of general pattern for these viruses was just to display some message and then maybe, I don't know, probably would just inject something into memory that would, would cause a crash. Another feature of a lot of these hypercard viruses is that they were set to self-destruct, essentially, or stop doing what they were designed to do after a certain date. So a lot of them, while the code may reside still in, in a user's home stack, were actually dormant. Yeah, and I think that a lot of these, because of the nature of them where they just displayed a message and then either stopped or self-destructed, you know, we call these viruses because that was how they spread, but they don't seem like modern malware where the goal is to, you know, run a botnet or retrieve credit num- credit card numbers or do something really malicious. They were more like pranks, to be honest. And one of them that made the rounds in the late 80s was the Dukakis virus. <laughs> and it displayed a message that said, you know, this was a this was an election year in 1988. And it said, greetings from the Hyper Avenger. I am the first hypercard virus ever. I was created by a mischievous 14-year-old, and I'm completely harmless. Dukakis for president in 88, because the kid was 14 year old, 14 years old and couldn't spell president. Peace on Earth and have a nice day. I guess that's also good for Christmas. Peace on Earth. Oh, yeah. This was really new territory where people were dealing with self-replicating viruses. And a lot of them were trying to stake their claim to first virus ever or first hypercard virus ever. Similar to how one variant of Merry Xmas was spread by a SIM stack distributed by Apple, there was a hypercard virus called MacMag that spread because it hid in what purported to be official Apple materials. Uh, I got this description from the antivirus app Disinfectant, which we will talk about a little more later, but it says, the MacMag virus spread through a hypercard stack called New Apple Products. The stack contained some exceptionally poorly digitized pictures of the new Apple scanner. (laughs) And all it would do uh, was on one day, March 2nd, 1988, 
it uh, displayed a message of peace with an American symbol and then destroyed itself, never to cause havoc again. Then there were some other hypercard viruses that did some more annoying things than just displaying a message once and going away to never be seen again. One of these was known as the Three Tunes virus. And this description is from the same source as the previous one with the American symbol. It's a book available on Google Books, and it has some sort of strange descriptions of these things. Because it says that Three Tunes is a hypercard virus whose damage occurs in systems using a German calendar. And I looked, I can't find out what they mean by a German calendar, because I don't think there is such a thing. I guess you could use a German date format, but there's no separate German calendar. Anyway, calendar between November 11th and 30th, or December 11 to 31, in any year from 1991 to 1999. So maybe this was actually where I was getting the story about Mary Xmas, that it would sort of activate on Christmas, because it's around the same time, end of the year, that the Three Tunes virus would come to life. And I'm sure that we're in, you know, a computer lab setting, and floppy disks were changing hands every day. (laughs) And I'm sure that all of these hypercard viruses were sort of out there in that setting, and they were certainly trying to eradicate them all. Anyway, Three Tunes did do some crazy things, 17 seconds after activating an infected stack, a message that says, hey, what you doing, appears. It's very all your base. After two minutes, Mus Iden is played and repeated every four minutes, which this is apparently a German folk tune slash march, which I found on YouTube. It was featured in the film Das Boot. And then, uh, after another four minutes, Behind the Blue Mountains is played, and the system may shut down afterwards. I couldn't find out what this song, Behind the Blue Mountains, is either. Um, I I get the impression that Three Tunes has a a German bent to it, and was perhaps created by someone in Germany. Uh, The only song that I could find by searching Google for Behind the Blue Mountains and song is a Johnny Cash song, which is sung in German, And if you thought that my pronunciation of the title of the other song was bad because I have a bad German accent, you should you should hear Johnny Cash singing in German. Then it wasn't done yet. If you if you had made it through all these songs, then one minute later the virus displays HyperCard's pop-up menus, tools, and patterns. And if you close them, they reopen. And then after 15 minutes, it says "Don't panic," which is probably a Douglas Adams reference. Who I think uh, used HyperCard quite a bit and wrote about it. Yeah. One other thing that I should mention about these songs is that obviously these were not say audio recordings like we can get today by searching on YouTube or downloading an MP3. But part of the HyperTalk language was that it had a feature where you could play any note, just a synthesized plain tone for any pitch and any duration. So if you had lots of patience, you could actually code in an entire song by saying, play C sharp for 30 ticks 
where a tick was a 60th of a second. You could get a half second of a C note. So these tunes that were encoded in the three tunes virus must have been done this way. One other thing to mention about how these viruses went around and the fact that there were so many variants. Well, the reason that there must have been so many variants is that the code for these viruses and the way that they replicated was very open. The way that, for example, the Dukakis virus worked was it spread through the home stack and all it had to do to do this was say, there was a line in the virus code that says, put the script of stack home into a variable, alter that variable, and then put it back. And all of this HyperTalk code was available through the main interface of HyperCard. You could basically get info for either an object or a stack itself and say, show the attached HyperTalk code, and it would just appear in plain text. So there was no compiled binaries. There was no having to like reverse engineer any of these to find the viruses. If you just went and looked, all the virus code was right there. So you know, most people were trying to eradicate these viruses. But if you were curious or wanted to play around with them, all you had to do was get infected. And then you had basically the keys to the kingdom of creating your own hypercard virus or inserting your own message in the same manner as some other virus. And so because of this, uh, it was pretty easy to eradicate viruses and inoculate your system against them yourself. A lot of these viruses would check to see if they had already infected a home stack, and if so, not bother inserting their code again. So a lot of do-it-yourself inoculations against these viruses is just to add the strings that they would look for and leave into your home stack yourself. And then if by chance you ever came into contact with an infected file, it would see the string you've put there, think it's already been there, and pass you on. Other tricks basically said it, it was all spread by the home stack. So they said, go in to the home stack code and look for these lines. And like you said, either add or delete them as necessary. Or the other thing that people just suggested was lock the home stack. So you could just go into the finder and say, lock this file, don't let it be changed. And nothing really low level behind the scenes was going on here. It wasn't like it, these viruses were getting direct access to the file system and being able to sort of corrupt or insert themselves in a file that way. All they were doing was using the tools available within the HyperCard application. So if you said, this stack is not modifiable, they would go to try to modify it, and the application, HyperCard application would just say, nope, no can do. The Mac has always been relatively virus-free, especially when compared to Windows, which has been overrun with malware <laughs> since the beginning. And especially in the later days, once, like I said, once we were dealing more with self-replicating internet worms rather than contact by sharing files on, say, a floppy disk or USB stick. And so despite this, the Mac has always had its share of antivirus programs because you're better safe than sorry. It's had the big names like Norton and Symantec, but in the early days, uh, in the like System 6, System 7 days, there was a popular utility called Disinfectant I mentioned earlier. Uh, it primarily dealt with um, viruses that directly <laughs> attack the system, not hypercard viruses that would use these uh, XCMDs. But it did take care of one or two hypercard viruses, so I took a look at it. And uh, 
this is just a fun thing I wanted to throw into the show. When you went into the disinfectant about screen, similar to how HyperCard would, you could play a, a single tone and vary the pitch and the duration. It did the same thing to accomplish the Monty Python screen. It would scroll in the name of every virus it could successfully get rid of. And then the big Monty Python foot would squish them. One other thing that was an attempt to get rid of some of these hypercard viruses, like you said, disinfectant would go through and do things the proper way, right? If you wanted to make sure that you had properly eradicated these viruses, disinfectant was a good tool because it was, I don't know, it wasn't quite like an open source project, but it was a community-based project that was available as freeware, whereas the other antivirus programs were commercial. So disinfectant would take care of everything properly. It would get rid of all of the code associated with these various hypercard viruses. But a different way of doing it was a hypercard stack called antibody. And it turns out it tried to do some of these manual virus removal techniques, except through automation. And what this meant was that it turned into actually a virus itself because it was self-replicating code that was trying to put itself in your hypercard stacks. And it had a noble goal, but it actually started causing its own problems, causing its own crashes, and just basically being a virus that took over the place of the other viruses (laughs) instead of actually getting rid of them. It was clear that hypercard was a full-fledged developer tool that had a very easy learning curve. So anyone could pick it up and with the best intentions, like Antibody, uh, create something and distribute it, but maybe it wasn't ready to be seen by the broader world. Right. And this was before people were even really significantly concerned about protecting their computers from viruses. A lot of the references that I looked at before the show said, you know, am I even at risk for getting viruses on my Mac? And most of them said, well, you're at higher risk if you connect to the internet, which was an exceptional thing at that time, or if you connected to an office or university network, or if you were just generally in, say, a university setting where you frequently used public computers or lab computers. But that was really the only way that these things spread around, and they spread around very slowly. So people weren't that concerned. And it's clear that HyperCard itself wasn't designed with heavy-duty security in mind, unlike the Apple software of today that has very strict sandboxing and tries to make sure that every piece of code is legitimate, is signed by, by an authorized developer, and can't call out to system things like the XCMD to just shut down your system. And uh, something Ed was talking to me about before we started recording is uh, one very simple way of preventing uh, files from infecting as you share floppies around is to flip the tab on your floppy and lock it. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's like, you know, be very, very careful. If you, if you go to a public computer, don't let that thing write to your floppy disk. Simpler times. It was much simpler times. In the end, it turned out that 
Merry Xmas was perhaps not as festive as we thought, but was definitely one of the leaders in an important historical period for the Mac and for computer security in general. While the virus itself may not be wishing you Merry Xmas this year, uh, we certainly wish you happy holidays, whichever holiday you celebrate, and uh, enjoy this time with friends and family. This is our final episode for 2014. The year is almost over. And so, like Brian said, Merry Xmas and Happy New Year, and we'll see you in 2015. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, you can just go to our website, simplebeep.com. We're also on Twitter at simple underscore beep if you'd like to send us any feedback. And I'm on Twitter at ecormany, E-C-O-R-M-A-N-Y. I'm B-S-U-T-O, B-S-U-T-O. Happy holidays, everyone. Bye. <laughs>